Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 172 for Monday, December 20th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Tinsel Riffs? Pixel Riffs? <laughs> I, there's, a, there's a Christmas joke in here somewhere, Johnny, and I'm just struggling to find it. Hi, how are I, you? I'm good. I have on occasion been Tinsel Riffs on Twitter when I feel like doing the, the seasonal thing and changing my avatar and putting a Christmas That's hat on. That's in my head. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, speaking of Tinsel and what we've been doing to decorate for Christmas, you can hear about that in the extended version of the podcast, The Render Distance. And you can get that by subscribing to us on Patreon, becoming a member of our Patreon community. Um, and that's at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You can also hear more about Joel's Lego stream over the weekend and the fun of messing with Star Wars Lego sets. Um, this is our last recording of the year. Uh, we will have one more episode, which we've already pre-recorded, which will air next Monday, December 27th. That's going to be a chunk mail dispenser episode. But as far as the news and the the kind of quick login where we, we chat about what we've been doing in Minecraft this week, uh, this is going to be the last one of the year. We'll be back after the holidays on January 3rd. And before we get too far away from it, we hope everyone has a lovely holiday season. So what have you been up to this week in Minecraft, my friend? Still taking it slow in the survival guide world. I have been fishing, I have been exploring, and I've been using maps a little bit because I figure if I'm teaching people about Minecraft, a lot of the time we get too used to using stuff like coordinates. And while Bedrock Edition obviously has the option to have coordinates on the screen just discreetly in the top left corner all the time, I always find that opening the debug info on Java Edition feels like this massive wall of text suddenly appears, it obscures half of the stuff that's on the screen, and it gets a little bit awkward and cumbersome. And rather than rely on something like the Vanilla Tweaks coordinates HUD, which I think is really useful, I've decided to introduce maps as a way of players getting around and navigating the area around their spawn, at least, and explaining how maps can be used to travel a little bit further afield, but then you realise which direction you're traveling at least without having to rely on coordinates or the position of the sun or anything like that. Uh, so I was mapping my area, I made a map of my spawn and I decided to lock it so that I can do a side-by-side -side comparison of the area once it's more developed. So here's how it's how it started, how it's going for my world. Um, which I don't have immediate plans for developing it yet. I have a couple of other little buildings I want to work on now that I'm talking about fishing. I want to make a little fishing shack and that kind of thing. So that's what I'm working on the rest of this week. Um, but I did go and find a jungle, and I found a jungle very quickly, which I was very surprised by. We noticed it sort of in the in the distance of a different episode, and I decided to go and look for it to get jungle wood and talk about bamboo and, and pandas and everything. And it seems like there are more warm or neutral temperature biomes around me than cold biomes. So I haven't found a snow plains or a tiger or a mountain or any of that stuff yet, which is kind of a pain to me right now because I'm <laughs> jonesing for some spruce wood. Uh, but I think at least it's it's kind of fun to explore these things as we find them. Part of the reason I wanted to do a random seed in the first place. So I found a jungle, I found a savanna nearby, still haven't located a desert. I'm I'm still just feeling things out in the survival guide world right now. It's funny, you know, I I think it's because I just generally have really good like spatial awareness in video games and I don't get turned around in Minecraft that much. So I've never, I've thought about using maps, like, as you said, to track progress and show kind of like, you know, the before and after of a zone. But I, I've not thought to use them as like a, you know, uh, especially with the new banners and, and things over the last few years that you can then label and, and have it be something that you can find again uh, on a map. 
because I've just, I've not ever found that I get lost in that way. But mm-hmm. uh, it, for people that do, because I hear it all the time yeah. in, in the community of people that do get turned around and are just like, where, where did I go? How did, where, where did I die? How do I get back to my house? Like I have all this stuff and I just traveled completely the wrong direction, you know? And, and I think, especially for people that are new in Minecraft and then using the maps in that way is, is smart. Yeah. Like I, I have this a community of people obviously watching the videos and I find that a lot of people ask me, how on earth did you find your way back to this uh, at certain points? And like most of the time it's like, yeah, I have the coordinates of that memorized or I navigate by landmarks a lot. So if there's a big hill on my right mm-hmm. as I'm going that way, then I know if I, the big hill is on my left, I can travel back that way and it works, right? Um, I, I find people asking that about caving now because of the level of caverns that can generate under the world. I've had a lot of people asking me, now that you can't leave a trail of torches on one side of the cave wall because the cave widens out and it's just massive how do you find your way back from that and my answer to that is usually i kind of just do it like i've i've explored systematically enough that i can kind of remember where the exit is wherever i go in this cave but for the most part i haven't really found any enormous sprawling cave systems that you could lose yourself in to that extent um but yeah some people even recommended taking maps underground with you and that way if you have to pillar back up you can open a map and see from the surface because you're always getting a top-down view with these maps whether or not you are under a mountain or an ocean or anything that's going to make pillaring up hazardous or or take ages because you know if you you imagine you get underneath a mountain biome and you're like okay i'm down at y negative 32 in the world let me pillar back up you're pillaring for 200 blocks and then you go where where is the surface of this place and it turns out you're in a mountain that's 300 blocks tall or something and it's Mm. uh, it can get a little bit extreme now so i think that's actually kind of a smart move if you feel like bringing the maps with you even bring the paper with you and once you've got redstone and iron you can craft a compass and do that on the fly so um maps can be quite useful i think it's just that we get too reliant on stuff like coordinates a lot of the time if we want to find precise locations and then that just becomes a habit that java edition players use quite a lot and it's a shame because java edition players have access to stuff like being able to put markers on maps using banners which isn't a thing on bedrock edition you can't do that yet um oh wow yeah so i i have to maybe like put in a couple of caveats in these episodes as i'm making them because i know people will try that on bedrock and if i just say you can do this they'll be like you're a liar because i can't i've tried it the same for putting banners on shields and stuff banners just seem to be generally kind of neglected on on bedrock edition right now or they just haven't they've had other priorities when they've implemented stuff so uh yeah I've, i've been been doing a bit of that um i've also been able to focus more on the survival guide world because i died on the don't die december hardcore server um a couple of people decided to do a dragon fight and i was just logged in casually and not streaming or anything like that and so i participated in the dragon fight got pinned down by an enderman and dragon's breath did the rest um so oh, no. yeah i i threw down a bucket of water just because i thought okay the enderman will stay outside the radius of this dragon immediately bullseyes this water source and i'm 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 left with the decision do i stay here try and defend myself but constantly take damage from the dragon's breath or do i step outside of this thing where the enderman's gonna kill me um and yeah, eventually I just ended up succumbing to the dragon's breath. And I was, I don't think I was the only casualty that day, but I was the only casualty of the dragon fight itself. So again, there are no good deaths in Minecraft. Sign me up for season four and I'll be fine. But uh, nice. yeah, it was back to playing Minecraft bingo for me after that. 
Did you um have you lasted Don't Die December before? Or is this like the longest you've you've gone? The trick, like nine, 19 or 20 days in, that's not bad. The trick is to not play, I have found. Um, because <laughs> no, I've I've done I've done previous seasons where I played very casually and I wasn't logged in every day and I wasn't with this one as well. It was really just a streaming project for me. But yeah, I've done dragon fights in hardcore before, it's been fine. I've done various other bits and pieces, it's been fine. It's just occasionally circumstances throw you for a loop and you find it difficult to recover in time because you know, I've fought off Enderman before, I've killed the dragon plenty of times. It's it's not that the act itself is hard, it's just that the game still throws these occasional, like, you know, out of left field things that you can't quite react to in time. Um, but yeah, previously on Don't Die, I made a, a 9 by 9 um, oh, sorry, a 3x3, a 9-block uh, netherite beacon <laughs> before, because people were joking about the netherite beacon thing at the time. So, like, I've done plenty of you know, relatively dangerous stuff on hardcore servers before. It's just, uh, yeah, this time around it, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Uh, so I left my record collection to one of the other people on the server and, uh, decided to bounce until next time. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I've fought the dragon a number of times since, you know, as we've been unlocking different gateway portals on the Citadel and I haven't died in a long time, but I guarantee you that if I tried it on a hardcore server, I'd be out that moment like that just that would be the <laughs> yeah. one dragon fight that i just wouldn't you know like i wouldn't even get a hit in it's the kind of thing where you just go haha i'm here and the dragon goes whoosh and you're just kind of like off the edge like well <laughs> that's the end of that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i uh it's been a long time since i've done the dragon fight and uh, i keep on meaning to like finish up that that area so that we can no longer fight it like just kind of leave it and then decorate it and because every time someone fights it ultimately something gets destroyed so. yeah yeah and I, I, I tend to find that respawning it later is fine if you want to get stuff like Dragon's Breath and other bits and pieces. But once you've fought the dragon enough times, you really don't need to worry about it. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you can just, you know, ignore for the most part. But yeah, having a, a completed circle of portals on the end island is fairly satisfying. Uh, how's the Citadel this week? What were you up to? Uh, I was inside again this week. Uh, we only did the one stream because I had the, um, the Lego stream that you mentioned at the top of the show as a... Um, reward on the channel for um november so uh that was my sunday but my saturday was spent on the front gate and uh after doing all of the interiors of the main gate house uh, i still had like a couple of other places that needed some attention like uh the like little office or, or just kind of like it's not a, a place that someone would live it's more like a through building where someone would walk through so i was thinking like you know the town magistrate or someone registering who's coming in and going out of the town something like that so there's bookshelves and a desk and just some basic stuff I uh, was really happy with the rafters in that room too. Kind of, I'm trying to do things differently every time I'm in a space. So like, rather than angled rafters, I did the straight rafters and just used trapdoors and stairs and it just something to make it look a little bit different. Uh, and the the biggest project was putting a portcullis in the main gate. It really felt open and not much of a gate. So uh, I added both a large. Um, dark oak door uh, and a portcullis uh, and the dark oak door is kind of meant to look like it could close across the space mm -hmm. uh, even though it's a little bit short but I just it, you know you kind of have to go with Minecraft kind of imagination there. yeah d diagonals um, are always the kind of thing that you're like if this is at a diagonal it needs to be one block shorter otherwise it looks kind of wonky but if, mm -hmm. you, if you've got something that's like open at a slight angle it's gonna look sort of squashed like perspective yeah. is one of the yeah. things you've got to play around with with that stuff yeah, exactly. So I just kind of left it as is. I might, there, I'm not happy with the way that it's kind of situated currently. I might add another block to it. I might mess around with it a little bit. Um, I just 
it would make more sense if the door was inside of the frame of the gate but i didn't like the way that aesthetically affected the view from the like from the front road when you're walking into the town it had this weird kind of like why is there this thing on the side of this wonderful arch you know like it just it felt kind of strange so i thought well I, for the sake of aesthetics i'll push it off to the side and see if i like it i might end up taking it down because i don't i don't need both but i just i thought that space needed something there for now and it was a simple enough build uh, but the portcullis was actually a lot of fun. This is the second one that I've done. So lessons learned from before. Um, great way to not get your fences to attach to the side of the slot is to use stairs all the way up and down. And so uh, because the archway is uh, stone brick, andesite, and cobble, I've got stairs in all of those textures. So I was able to get it so that the um, portcullis doesn't attach to any of the sides. The fences just hang vertically. Mm -hmm. And I was able to put like a, a log crank across the top of the battlement that's covered. And uh, fun part here, which was a fun detail to, to, to discover and kind of like wing on stream, is that I put a chain that goes down from that winch down to the area where the murder holes are on the side of the gate and it i attached it to a barrel with a lever so it looks like you know someone could rush in there and smack that lever and like the whole thing would just like wince around and like the gate would come crashing down and block off the door it's a lot of imagination but it looks like it could work <laughs> yeah and, <that's, laughs> and so that was a lot of fun that's one of the things i love about the villager workstation blocks is that so many of them look like they could be mechanical components for other things like people use mm -hmm. barrels for all kinds of cool stuff grindstones for all kinds of cool stuff i think a lot of them fit into this medieval mechanism aesthetic while they don't actually have any proper functionality it's not like something from create mod where it actually winds up a chain or something like that i think there's there's some very fun stuff you can do with implying that those things have a sense of movement to them yeah i agree and so that's and that's basically what i did i mean it's it, it helps that my nether um, brick fence has a black nether brick texture so there's a oh, few okay. things there with some custom textures that help out but yeah it, it, it really does go a long way and I, lo I love chains for this kind of thing like I only used four uh, I didn't need a lot of them uh, sorry not four like like four to hang the the gate but then another long chain but like the fact that the chain is in the game now just allows you to do so much more believable stuff like this mm -hmm. because you're not otherwise you'd be using a fence post and you'd be trying to make sure the fence post doesn't connect to the wall and like it'd be very tricky to do this another way yeah yeah definitely i i need to start using chains and lanterns and stuff a little bit more now that i've got a little bit more iron in the survival guide world now that i've managed to do a couple of successful caving trips i think it's it's going to be fun to start decorating with some of those and and just mess around with them a little bit, knowing that we're probably going to have access to a whole bunch more iron later on, especially if I find one of those huge veins. Did I mention? I can't remember if I told you I found one of the the copper huge veins in oh, the, no. in the survival guide world, which I'm probably going to go and mine out at some stage. If not this week, then next week, uh, now that I've got fortune and everything. But uh, yeah, I'm looking for the iron ones still so I can do them both in one episode, but it should be uh, a lot more iron than I really need at this stage in the game. So I'm I'm weighing up whether I want to go looking for those right away or if I should maybe stick around and find some other uses for iron first before we just stockpile a whole bunch of it. Nice. Yeah, no, that that's, I mean, that's a great stream, you know, to do the, all the copper mining and for, especially for early game to have something like that much copper available in, in a series like the survival guide that I imagine that just kind of makes your life a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm planning on putting a copper roof on the fishing shack and 
between that and the fact that now if you break down a copper block in a stone cutter you get four cut copper out of it because they changed the right. recipe for that as well it's it's looking like copper is going to be much more accessible early game for building with so yeah i'm thinking about doing that uh before i really bother with looking further afield for things like prismarine if i wanted a a blue roof in the same color range as that oxidized copper look then yeah prismarine would probably be the next port of call that or warped wood which i've not even gone to the nether yet so yeah we'll we'll see how it goes but i think copper is going to be my first port of call moving on into the news this week minecraft bedrock edition beta 1.18.10.24 is out and frogs and tadpoles are in with the wild update experimental features frogs will spawn in swamp biomes they can croak jump swim and walk on land they can eat small slimes causing a slime ball to drop frogs can be tempted to breed using seagrass but this is just a placeholder for now frogs lay eggs after mating when frog eggs hatch they spawn tadpoles tadpoles can swim in water jump around quote unquote like fish when on land and will eventually die tadpoles that grow up will turn into a frog and tadpoles grow into a different type of frog based on the biome they are born in tadpoles can be caught in a bucket other gameplay tweaks and bug fixes include that the uh, globe banner pattern has been added back to the game players no longer gain particle effects when obtaining bad omen from pillager captains sleeping in a bed will once again trigger the fade to black screen the camera now interpolates its position again when the player sneaks villagers now make a quote-unquote no sound when attempting to make a trade uh, that they are out of stock fixed a bug with the ender dragon where it would become invisible when flying towards the central portal after dying minecraft celebrates passing one trillion views on youtube we'll have links to various uh, youtube videos and uh, other articles in the show notes uh, but you can find all of that mostly on, on YouTube. Uh, the breakdown of each year's trends and top creators as Minecraft grew on YouTube is available in an article. Also features articles on the global and cultural appeal of Minecraft, a spotlight on female Minecraft content creators, and various other pieces showcasing Minecraft's impact over the last decade or so. Minecraft Dungeons Cloudy Climb was released this week as well. We'll have a link to the Minecraft.net page about that. Um, it adds the tower and an adventure hub to the camp. The tower is a 30-floor survival challenge that starts you off with a fresh character and only basic weapons and armor. The goal is to clear all 30 floors with only three lives. On completing each floor, you choose a reward from six options, then continue to the next floor where the challenge increases. Each attempt to climb the tower presents the players with exactly the same rewards for each floor, so the community can work together to find the best strategies for the latest tower layout. The layout resets periodically, so right now players only have about two weeks remaining with the current tower layout before it will change again and the challenge continues. The Adventure Hub lets you keep track of the seasonal adventure rewards, which includes a free track and the premium Adventure Pass track. The free track includes a handful of cosmetic rewards, such as pet skins, uh, emotes, and capes, along with emeralds and gold to help you buy gear from the traders in-game. The premium track has a bunch more cosmetic items and flares and different animations for your character. There are 50 levels to earn in both tracks, and weekly challenges can be completed by playing through either the tower or the standard levels of the game. We'll have more on that later as I discuss my own experiences with the Cloudy Climb update. Uh, developers on Twitter have also been sharing work-in-progress views of The Warden, which is obviously one of the kind of 
more interesting topics for the community after the warden has been delayed from the caves and cliffs update to the upcoming wild update king b dog shared a couple of new sneak peeks at the warden on twitter and there's also a video on youtube uh, just to get around the fact that twitter compression was awful to the original video upload and w chiwi also shared um some work in progress animations of the warden uh yeah pointing out heavily that these were very much a work in progress and they were planning on revising them but the warden has you know animations as it rises up from the ground and burrows back into the ground following an encounter with a player um azumavoid has also done a youtube video on this as i'm sure have many other creators but we'll highlight azumavoid's video here because it goes into a little bit more information about these and showcases them on a youtube video which we'll have linked in our show notes uh, yeah the, to stick on the warden while we're here um I thought it looked really cool once and specifically because um, Exumavoid uh, took the brightness on the videos and, and increased it so mm-hmm. that he could showcase it more on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of artifacts when you do that. So it's a little bit hard to see. But um, the two things that came to mind, one, it looks really cool that this mob is kind of coming out of the ground. Uh, and it made me wish that more things in Minecraft did that. Like, you know, turtles do this little thing where they kind of splash around in the sand when they're digging. It would be cool if they actually like sunk into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the the warden is, is setting a good example of that, that this is possible and, and it does look pretty cool. Um, I, I think the, I mean, obviously they're both works in progress, but I think the um, emerging animation looked cooler to me than the digging animation. Yes, um, yeah. But I think the digging animation to me as an animator, not only does it look like a work in progress, it looks like a like a first pass. It doesn't even look like a complete first pass. It looks like a uh, a keyframe or a, or a, a rough idea, not like it's a first fi- final draft. If that makes any sense. Yeah, there's um, there's no particles around it as it's digging. Really, it's also digging on a bare stone floor. It's like deep slate floor, so it's not going to be burrowing down into the skulk again or anything. Like as far as we can tell, and it doesn't necessarily show the environment that you're natively going to find the warden in. So there's a lot of theatrical stuff that can be added into it that I think is not present in this version at all. But it's it's very interesting just to understand that that's how the warden exists. Its behavior is to emerge from the ground and then dig back into the ground once it's done with whatever it's doing. And I would imagine that anyone that's animating the warden or an iron golem or really any of the mobs is wishing that they had knees and elbows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> very like, much I, so. It has to be a really big challenge. So, like, I, I, I wish that they did, and it's not a criticize, you know, a criticism of the animators. It's more like, a, oh, I wish they would just give these characters knees and elbows, because mm-hmm. it would, it would, it would certainly help with a lot of the the mood they're trying to portray like that shaky kind of creepy kind of arrival of something out of the ground and it's like it looks a little (laughs) little bit in in some ways it works sometimes but in other ways you're like "Eh, i don't know um yeah i mean they they look good the the model for the warden hasn't changed at all since um they showed it last at um minecraft live in the fall so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing uh, development of this as it goes forward in the new year yeah definitely and speaking of knees elbows and animations give frogs a try i I know obviously they're a bedrock edition beta right now so not everyone's going to have access to that but frogs are pretty cool (laughs) i i I spent a bit of time in the bedrock beta before the show um just you know loaded up and spent 20 minutes roaming around spamming frogs everywhere the model and walk cycle is are really satisfying and i think it goes along with the developments they've had for stuff like the axolotl 
and the way they interact with the environment because frogs movement is relatively unique um they feel very smooth instead of the kind of more blocky you know stiff arms or legs of like a, a cow or a sheep or an iron golem or whatever they they feel a little bit more animated and have a lot of character as a result of the walk cycle feeling a little bit smoother the arms are kind of the the, the legs are swinging side to side a little bit and they have this waddle to them that makes them them really cool to watch they also have the most natural interaction with water that i've seen of an amphibious mob in minecraft they 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 even look better than axolotls when they enter water because they hop into the water or they fall from whatever block they're in and they instantly push off and start swimming away the animation changes to something that's very much like a a froggy kind of breaststroke kind of thing and it's it's very very good um jumping around is also something that they take from goats they can jump pretty high and yeah they've got a lot of character to them i think the frogs have been implemented really well in the bedrock beta and i presume and hope that the uh that the same kind of approach is going to be present in the the java mob as well i imagine we'll see this in java before we see anything from the warden and the deep dark in terms of snapshots and stuff maybe it's interesting because in previous iterations of the snapshot beta kind of process bedrock has had one feature developed on their platform while java worked on something else and then they've compared notes right so right. I, I gather that from what they've tweeted about this they are working on the warden on bedrock as well um but i think because the warden is such a big part of the next update i expect they're probably giving that some priority but i i do wonder if we're going to see frogs arriving on Java Edition relatively late, and they're going to do more work on the the biome side of things, the mangrove trees and stuff, and that's going to appear in snapshots for Java Edition before it appears in Bedrock, and and vice versa. So, um, mm. no no guarantees on that score, but still really cool to see them at this stage in the game. They seem really neat. They integrate well into the environment, and I think it's neat that they eat slimes as well as the fireflies that we ended up seeing in Minecraft Live. I think it's got interesting implications for fun mechanics in slime farms although i expect most mm -hmm. players are still going to go for the more efficient route of you know magma blocks or whatever right and i think um it's just nice to see them interacting with the stuff that is freely available in their ecosystem because that's in, in the same way that you know piglins will hunt hoglins occasionally and stuff you expect them to try and find food or whatever you know they get out of hunting these things down from the environment around them and so slimes spawning in swamps it's going to be a neat thing to have frogs occasionally go after and pick off the the smaller ones having them uh you know use those giant tongues to like eat the slime is is very satisfying in a uh yoshi eating something kind of way yeah no that's exactly you took the words out of my mouth it reminds me of, of yoshi is there a decent sound effect when that happens like is there like a squish you know i was playing without my headphones on so unfortunately i didn't get to <laughs> test those out but um yeah I, I will probably spend a little bit more time muddling around in the uh the bedrock beta because it's it's fun to see these things before they happen but now that i'm so stuck into 1.18 i don't really want to touch on the uh, you know the upcoming 1.19 features too early like i don't want to get super stuck into the wild update where i'm trying to keep myself focused in 118 so i'm not going to spend too much time with it um the egg and tadpole mechanics of frogs also seem pretty natural like they 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 strike me as a combination of axolotls turtles and a couple of other things like the way turtles will go to find a beach to lay their eggs frogs do the opposite right they breed on land or they can breed in the water i guess but then they go to the water to lay their eggs 
and the eggs are like a um like a lily pad kind of style thing they're placed on the surface of the block and you can only you know you can you can stand around and watch them hatch or you can go away and then a tadpole will appear a little bit later but you only find the eggs on the surface of the water in those swamp biomes um and it's it's kind of weird that that life cycle has to be initiated by the player but i suppose that's true of everything in minecraft but they almost seem like the kind of thing they've got so much life of their own that you'd expect to see them you know generating spawning stuff on their own um maybe less practical for the game itself but when a feature is realistic enough that you think why aren't these frogs just leaving frog spawn everywhere then it it kind of <laughs> shows that they're on the right lines at least with how natural they feel in the world yeah that's cool but i would imagine from a technical perspective you would end up with a swamp if it was always loaded just full of frogs <laughs> yeah totally mm -hmm. causing all kinds of lag yeah yes uh, I, I the slime thing is new because they didn't announce that at minecraft live that that i didn't i didn't remember that from before and i'm i'm glad that they've got that in there I, I feel like um with the tadpoles like if if it hatches and you're not there i'm guessing it can swim away somewhere yeah provided that the water is large enough so you might want to create like a spawning pool for them if anything mm. because otherwise they will they will get away from you pretty fast i think and um yeah, I've seen a few players distressed that the axolotls will kill tadpoles if there's an right. axolotl nearby because they the, the the tadpoles are very small, very cute. They're probably one of the smaller mobs that we have in the game right now, being basically just a set of eyes with a body and a tail. And uh, yeah, axolotls will go after them, mercilessly kill them. And some people were kind of shocked by that. But then it's it's an axolotl. like They're getting food where they can. And that's established behavior for them. So it's consistent that they do that. Yeah, I, I think that something that people don't realize is just how vicious underwater animals are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it just, it's kind of eat or be eaten. And if you're small, that's your kind of food. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how that's kind of how that rolls. That's why there's so many tadpoles, right? Yes. Yeah, so. exactly. Like it's it's strength strength safety in numbers is really what it yeah. is. And uh and, yeah. and anyone wants to rewatch the beginning of Finding Nemo to get a look at you know what what you can expect <laughs> from the uh the axolotl tadpole interaction. Um but yeah, no I I'm I see a lot of promise in frogs. I think they're going to be pretty great. Um the other the the one million one trillion sorry view milestone we'll we'll talk about very briefly but i think that's just phenomenal and knowing that we're part of a community that has existed for like 12 years at this point and is continuing to grow and and move from strength to strength on platforms like youtube is is just phenomenal to see i actually misread the number uh when i saw the zeros i thought one billion oh, that's really cool and then i <laughs> like watched the videos like oh wait no whoops <laughs> i miscounted some of those zeros uh yeah i i think it was cool uh, also to see nods to some creators that i'm familiar with i mean some of the the more popular creators are either bedrock or they do uh, content for much younger viewers that i just i'm not familiar with them um i recognized one of the characters that had a crown on but like beyond that i was just like i was lost except for noticing mumbo and green at the yeah. start of it mm -hmm. i thought that was a fun a fun nod uh and i would be remiss if i didn't mention that i was a rather large fan of the uh crown wearing cape donning zombie chicken jockey that flew across the screen <laughs> at the end. yes the uh, the mcc uh <laughs> mascot the the chicken jockey is something joel is very familiar with it turns out um, let's move on to emails. We got a bunch of emails that a lot of them we uh, ended up using for our chunk mail dispenser episode that's going to air next week. But we still have plenty of emails coming in about people's new experiences in 1.18. If you'd like to email the show and have a chance at your email getting read in the new year, the email address to use is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. 
This first email comes in from PirateGuy01, and the subject is super deep, super slimy. Hi Joel and Pix, in your response to your conversation about game difficulty in Minecraft 1.18. Early in my world, I found a relatively shallow lush and dripstone cave still in the stone region of the world and decided to set up my base there. The cave is open from Y level 6 to 20, so it isn't massive, but a slime chunk is in the direct centre of it and I've broken an iron sword in one Minecraft day, killing nothing but slimes. I'm not interested in moving, so I'll be spawn-proofing the cave somehow, and I'm wondering if there are too many or too few slime chunks in the world. Should there be a sub-chunk limit? Slimes don't spawn above Y-level 40, but should there be a Y-level that they can't spawn below either? While slimes are annoying, making my base spawn-proof is a good idea anyway, as that's part of the game. Not everything has to be easy, but dozens of slimes in my cave is a little bit violating and in my opinion makes 118 a bit more difficult than is necessary. Thanks for a great podcast. Pirate Guy 01 tried to mind his own business, but was consumed by slime. It's a very D and D Minecraft end for Pirate Guy. <laughs> yes, the the gelatinous cube has consumed you. <laughs> Reroll your character. Um, yeah, yeah. Slimes, slimes are a menace, and it's it's interesting that I've already gone caving a couple of times and have run into slime fairly naturally both times after maybe not doing as much caving but after doing a reasonable amount of caving in previous updates and not really running into them all that much i think it's because there are larger more open spaces in some of these caves and so naturally you're going to find slime spawning conditions a lot easier in there add that add to that the fact that you can't spawn proof by lighting stuff up <laughs> it gets a little bit difficult to contain them i'll, I'll definitely concede that I've run into this before, not in small spaces, but in large ones, like doing a, a big clear mine, you know, like a, a, a strip mine yeah. underneath my witch farm, you know, and you just like, you're sitting there and you just, you're constantly having to deal with these slimes. And it helped a little bit that I built a slime farm and some slime chunks off to the side. So it helps with like the mob cap for the area. But if you're not doing that, then you you really do, you know, end up with a problem. And the thing that I don't like about that is that you can't control um like where they're spawning unless you do something that's spawn proofing like carpet or slabs but like that only that limits you to a certain number of blocks and if you're decorating this area like if you wanted a great big open i don't know underground football field for some reason you don't want to fight slime you're kind of stuck you know and i feel like um there should be a way to like help limit that and I liked the idea of having like a lower level sub chunk cutoff so like very similar to squid only spawning between certain Y levels, I think having, you know, slime spawning between certain Y levels uh, would certainly help that. You'd, you'd still still be kind of stuck in your, you know, position, pirate guy, because you, that's where you want to, you know, live and you don't want to move. So like, you're kind of going to have to come up with a way to, to spawn proof things. But um, in a way, I guess you could maybe look at it like maybe using some moss carpet or something that maybe looks like a lush cave, but then will also spawn proof the area. Um, but the, the other thing that I think that would be, um, kind of a, a hard balance in, in any kind of nerf to the spawning of slimes would be of course the slime farms and, you know, um, whether or not that would be well received, whether or not reducing the amount that slime spawn is going to be good or bad. I, I kind of feel like slime farms are kind of overpowered. Like I, now granted the slime farm I have on the Citadel is four slime chunks that happen to be next to one another. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've AFK'd for like a couple hours there and I've, I've still not gone through all the slime that I collected. So it depends on how much you need, I guess. But 
um, given the new height of the world. And I mean, if you can make a slime farm that goes all the way down to like Y negative 64, then like, I, I don't know that slimes need to spawn as often or as much given the new scope of, of the underground. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. But on the other hand, even if you end up reducing the amount of slime chunks that are there or reducing the range in which slimes will spawn there's still going to be somebody out there like our correspondent like pirate guy who is going to want to build a base in a specific place but runs into a slime chunk exactly where they want to build (laughs) you know Mm. i I feel like scenarios like this are unavoidable if you continue to have slimes spawning in specific areas and keep the spawning rules that they currently have uh so i i kind of wonder if maybe light level should become a factor in preventing underground slime spawns or in in this case i think your only real option like you said is to spawn proof it with blocks like slabs or 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 carpet because slime spawn proofing is difficult they need a three by three area to spawn they only need about two and a half maybe less than two and a half blocks of headroom in order to do that it's tough to spawn proof with blocks the way you might end up doing in the nether with ghasts for example right um so yeah with moss carpet being potentially your best option if there's a lush cave nearby depending on the size of the cave i might just wall off the slime chunk and turn it into a farm you know or if you wanted to deal with the slimes in some kind of more passive way if you're considering maybe building an iron farm as part of your base then set up your iron farm in this slime chunk and have the iron golems fight the slimes for you as they spawn in. <laughs> I feel like there's there's some stuff like that you could do if you're more technically minded and you feel like doing that in the as the centerpiece of your base, if it's right in the middle of this area you want to build, then in the long term that will help you, but it may be kind of difficult for you to decorate if you're more keen on the building side of things and less on the, the technical side of things. Um, I think overall, once again... An in-game way of detecting where slime chunks are, aside from just, I found a slime here, would be very helpful in determining where to build a more permanent base. Because if you had something, whether it's, you know, uh, a gadget of some kind or a mob that helps you, maybe something like the glare, if the glare was implemented, eventually could sort of hover up and down and make little slime particles when it's like, oh, there's a slime chunk here. So hostile mobs are going to spawn here. Yeah, like, because it's related to light level and the glare doesn't like dark spaces. And so, you know, it it, it might potentially want to help you light up areas to avoid mobs spawning, but then slimes are still going to appear there anyway. So it'd be helpful if it could indicate where some of those things were. And that would resolve the problem of players having to go out to external sources to find where slime chunks were if they were seeking one out directly. And then also help players decide, I'm not going to build a base here because it's going to be overrun with slimes within a day. Uh, I think that might be a a potentially better option. Um, I'm trying to think of other potential ways you could resolve this other than like making a mob switch basically so that nothing can spawn at all but that's the only other thing i can think of that's going to prevent that many slimes spawning there they should balance out with the mob cap in the caves around you but if you're exploring the caves lighting them up turning some of them into a base that's going to be well lit enough to avoid mob spawns then the slimes are just going to increase so um good luck (laughs) and i'm flipping a salute to pirate guy right now because that's uh, a bit of a tough problem but uh looking forward to hearing if you come up with a solution for it feel free to write back next email comes in from seal 117 a rock giant reply 
Hi, Johnny and Joel. A couple of my friends and I recently started a realm on Bedrock Edition. As part of that, the admin found a stronghold that was 3,000 blocks away from spawn, and we decided to settle down there. To combat the difficulties of a giant swim over three ocean monuments, we all agreed to set the realm to peaceful for the first week or so. Peaceful was something I hadn't really tried before, and it was quite refreshing. I could enjoy the early game resource gathering without the struggle of starving to death every 10 minutes. I'd very much recommend doing this for any players who feel getting set up is more of a challenge than it should be. Seal117 didn't drown because regeneration in peaceful mode is really, really good. <laughs> it sure is. You can also turn off drowning damage via a game rule now, which is something I kind of forget because I didn't really worry about that stuff most of the time. But yeah, drowning and fire damage and stuff are all able to be removed by by, by various game rules. Um yeah, I, I often I think we often forget that difficulty settings can be dynamic like that as well. It's maybe yeah. different on realms and servers and so forth, but on a single player world especially, unless you lock the difficulty or you're playing in a hardcore world where it's locked by default, you can change the difficulty to peaceful, to hard, to easy, to whatever you want, depending on how interested you are in maintaining your experience. And if you're finding it frustrating or like this, you have to uh, you know, travel a long way over several ocean monuments to uh, to to reach the point you've chosen for your base, then I think it makes a lot of sense to be able to play on Peaceful for a while. It's a great option for people that find it too difficult or are just finding it struggling to, and getting frustrated with your first days of Minecraft to stay alive. Like, that's not fun. You know, like if, if you're just trying to get to a different place or you're trying to achieve a certain level or or if it's like, you know, like a lot of us, if you've been playing for a while, it's like the fifth, sixth, tenth time that you've done the early game and you're just like, I, I've done it on hard. I can do it. I just don't feel like doing it again. Mm -hmm. Then I think we, and I feel like our conversation about difficulty in the last episode was um, we didn't cover the fact that you can switch it at certain points you know like uh you can um with hardcore you just have the one mode right and it's a one off on setting and once you die you're done but i think it's worth remembering that you have access to all this kind of stuff especially if you are or have the ear of the server admin and these settings can fluctuate because like i load up when i load up the the new server uh when i switched to hosting providers the very first thing i did was turn off pillager raids and turn off fire tech mm -hmm. i didn't even think about it i was just like this is just a quality of life decision but it makes the game easier we'll say easier giant air quotes for us as content creators and and for for people that just want to do more building in minecraft than really slashing and hacking at mobs all the time and um we've had the discussion about removing um creeper griefing from you know turning that off as well but ultimately we decided to just leave it in the game and because i just we didn't want it to be too easy or didn't want it to feel too passive so it's best to have those discussions with especially if you're dealing with a server you know with everybody make sure everybody's on the same page yeah, yeah, I I like the idea of doing more stuff in Peaceful at some stage, and the Don't Die server has considered doing a Peaceful month um, in, instead of being a Hardcore month, because that brings its own set of challenges, right? You don't have any hostile mobs to provide things like gunpowder, so, you know, there's less access to TNT, you find gunpowder in a couple of loot chests, but that's your best shot at getting stuff like fireworks. And, yeah, it, it, it has some implications for late-game stuff that you have interesting workarounds for and maybe you decide to play the game a little bit differently so it brings its own set of challenges and it's also hilarious if you still end up dying because you can die from things like fall damage um but i think it's uh it's kind of a, a fun way to play the game that people don't always tend to appreciate because more often than not they are concerned with 
the default way of playing the game like the fact that hostile mobs can spawn is part of the experience for them which is fine but like joel said it's all about what you're having fun with you don't need to play this the dark souls way <laughs> if you're constantly yeah. <laughs> dying over and over again that's not necessarily like an integral part of the experience for minecraft it's it's about having a sandbox and doing what you want in it so i see no harm in using peaceful and i think peaceful can be a, a whole different way to play the game if you're up for that so yeah definitely kudos to the uh, the admins for making that decision and it seems like the players are pretty happy with it too this might be a dumb question, but like, what does the Nether look like on peaceful mode? Very, very empty. <laughs> for I just would say, like, yeah, um, I think piglins will still spawn because they have passive behavior. They just won't get aggressive towards you if you're not wearing gold. So you can still right. set up bartering farms with piglins. You can still do a couple of other bits and pieces. There's just fewer of the hostile mobs. You get a lot of striders. You get a lot of piglins, and I think maybe even the zombie piglins. They just don't do anything if they're because the, most of the time they're neutral, right? Um, right so i would presume that most of that is the same but there's no ghasts there's nothing that will just instantly attack you no wither skeletons and so forth so yeah a, no a beacons a little bit a little bit emptier but um you know now that the nether has a little bit more stuff in it in terms of biomes and resources as of 116 uh, a little bit more fun to explore just for the sake of exploring and the merits of that yeah no that would be really cool Moving on to the roundtable discussion this month, uh, I'll start because I think my subject is going to be a little bit on the short side, but it's something that was on my mind this weekend after working so heavily with the fences and trying to get everything set up for the portcullis in the main gate for Westill. And I want to put forth the idea of fences, walls, iron bars, glass panes, any kind of block that I would consider, I'd call them sub blocks. They're technically a block in the game, but they just their geometry is less than the one by one meter. Uh, and those all have the ability to connect to things when they're next to something, even if you don't want them to. And I would love for the ability to control a little bit more how they connect and if they connect. Uh, it was something that kind of popped in my brain because I'm also using the tables and chairs data pack from Chuck Chuck. And one of the functions of that pack is that you put a table down with four legs and they use the furniture hammer that comes with the pack and you right click on that table and it switches from having four legs, two legs, one leg, no legs. And so by doing so, you can connect it to other tables. You can create large tables, small tables, desks, all that kind of stuff just from this one item, a table. And so I was thinking about these fences and me having to like restructure the entire inside of this archway to be all stair blocks. And it looks okay from the outside. If you look up, it looks a little bit strange. Um, but it, it functions, it looks the way that I want it to, but it would be a lot easier if I could just right click the fence gate or the fence post and have it either connect to one of the four cardinal directions or not at all. And I think that would be very, very cool, uh, in, in a lot of builds to be able to have these columns of things going down one by one holes. You could have, uh, use it for items, uh, for aligning things in redstone contraptions. Um, I think it would be great for things like glass panes because you could then put glass panes in front of blocks to create like a different color, but then it wouldn't have that weird T-shape where it would then connect to the block behind it if you didn't want it to. Uh, iron bars, uh, chains, same same idea. Chains are a little bit easier. Uh, but like the stuff like that I find is, is um, frustrating when you feel like you should be able to control it. Um, same thing with candles. Candles can float, but lanterns can't. And so if you want to put a lantern in a specific place on a wall, you have to put something underneath it. Otherwise, it's going to pop off. Mm -hmm. And it's I find it strange that 
a candle will float, but a lantern won't. Uh, so I, I'd love for them to have some sort of like attachment similar to like a, a wall sconce or like you can hang a lantern from something, but if you put a lantern on a wall, it won't work. And I really feel like there needs to be some sort of like way to control that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so what, like, have you experienced that kind of frustration with like when you're into that, like that detailed decorating stuff on occasion i have yeah and i usually see it as more of a puzzle to work around and it's like mm -hmm. it's, it's briefly frustrating for me and i think okay how can i outthink this you know how can i yeah. come up with something that's going to resolve this for me in the meantime though there is another option although it's a cheaty one uh there is an item called the debug stick which allows you to once you've cheated it in using commands control the block states of something in a similar way to how you're describing um so for example if you had a set of stairs you could have a debug stick and right clicking it a couple of times would cycle through the alignments of that stair whether it looked like it was connected to another stair block next to it regardless of whether right. it was or not um and the only problem with this is that it's not a default survival feature right it's it's the kind of behind the scenes thing that i think the developers use themselves just to test block states of stuff and how compatible they are with certain things without having to worry too much about you know the logistics of it in a survival context or even building in creative and i've seen people use these for various creative things if you want like half a door or something like that you can you can do some some fun stuff with that or with um plugins like mc edit will allow you to do it as well it's a frustration though that i feel because in survival you don't have those options and naturally you want to keep yourself out of cheating anything into the game and the same is true of stuff like bundles which are technically hidden in the game right now but you can access them via commands or data packs or what have you and so there are there are a couple of potential solutions to this that other games have tried in the past terraria is the most notable example has a tool called the hammer that allows you to reshape certain types of blocks in different ways if you want to make slopes or stairs or half blocks out of the terraria tiles which are all much smaller than blocks are in minecraft in terms of the way the game scales things you you craft a hammer and you can do that because you just tap on a block until it changes to the type of state you want and this can break up your world and make it look very very glitchy but in the right ways once you know how to use it it can make the world look a lot more aesthetically pleasing so there's definitely options for minecraft to do something like this I just wonder if the developers are open to that because I think in previous discussions about this, they've just talked about it being part of the the challenge of the game. They approach it kind of the way I do, where they're much more interested in seeing how players work around restrictions like this than they are in just providing easy ways to get around restrictions like this through actual gameplay features. The other thing that's come up uh, in the last couple of weeks for me has been the ability to place flowers, grass, and ferns in the middle of a block in the same way that when you plant a crop, it fills the block and is usually right in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I, I've gotten in myself in situations where like I really want to put like a fern or a flower next to like a front step. And when I do, the flower is half in the step. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, like, it's, it's in the, uh, the, yeah. the back left corner of this block and yeah, it like half phases yeah. through the wall behind it. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. And, 
and I get it. Like, I know why it's like that. It's so out, out in the middle of the wilderness when you're looking at a field of flowers and grass, it doesn't look like a grid. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I understand why it's there. But I feel like when you're placing things as a player as opposed to it being naturally generated in the world should be two different things. Uh, now, that said, there are going to be players that want that randomness when they're trying to make a big field or a garden or something and they don't want things to look like they're on a row. Um, so maybe it's a matter of like right click, left click, or holding a button, or I don't know what you could possibly use. But I just I feel like there's there it could be uh, there could be a way or should be a way to give the players that kind of control. It's I do find it it's it's one of those things where the the control that you get with all of the blocks that you have in the game and that you can put them most of the time precisely where you want them, and then when you go to this other stuff, the details that you would think would also have that control you don't and you're like it's so frustrating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it's the same thing with some of the inconsistencies across the directional um villager, villager workstations so a really good example of this that we just mentioned on the show is the barrel right you can use it like a log you can place it upside down if you know what you're doing it provides a little bit of a challenge but you can get there and it's got a different top texture and a different bottom texture you can use the side you can basically place it facing whichever direction you want um, it's not symmetrical in terms of the top bottom. So you've got to have to think about what the other side is going to be, depending on how you're laying it down. But uh, other villager workstations like the cartography table are not like this. And if you want to use one of those blank sides, which has a beautiful dark oak texture, you can't unless your building is facing the exact right way. Mm-hmm. And I love for there to be able to be a, a function of placing down villager workstations either directional like a furnace you know how you can stand in a different direction than the furnace always faces you when you put it down uh or like the barrel which functions like a log which means that you could put these workstations sideways on a wall you could put them uh, upside down uh, i think that could also just provide some whimsy and weird and fun things that you could do uh in in the game and then you could use all the sides of the textures it doesn't add another block to the game it doesn't add more textures to the game. It just means that the player can control which way it faces. And, yeah. and I think that would be a boon in terms of me being steeped in brown and gray for the last year, uh, looking for alternative brown and grays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I look longingly at the sides of some of the, the workstation going like, I really want to use that. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can imagine that there were various people who saw the whirling blade on a stone cutter and was like, so my James Bond evil villain Len needs one of these attached to the ceiling, but I can't do that apparently because of mm-hmm. the way they've decided to put these into Minecraft. Yeah. I, I I wonder about that stuff. I do wonder what motivates them to have some rules apply to these blocks and not others. And there must be some reason for it behind the scenes, whether it's sure, just of course. extra workload for the developers to do stuff like that, or if they just don't feel it is necessary. But yeah, I, I, I'm just curious about some of that stuff. I'd uh, I'd be interested about that. The stone cutter, at least you can rotate. So if the, the, the blade yeah. is facing towards you and feels too threatening, you can always turn 90 degrees to the right. But still, it's there, there's some things you can do that with and, and some you can't. And I I ran into that with the cartography table myself this week because I was doing an episode about maps and I put down a cartography table and realized that you can't see half the texture because of the wall I decided to place it against was on the wrong side. And in previous builds, I have intentionally decided to build them facing a certain way so I can make a wall out of the cartography table texture because the yeah. the dark oak planks go vertically up it instead of horizontally, which is really cool. But uh, yeah, then you end up with a wall that you can't right-click on because it will open the cartography interface. But it's, st- <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's still... Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's still scope for that to be added in future. And I think in the same way that in 1.14 
the village and pillage update, they also added a bunch of slabs and stairs and walls for decorative blocks and that kind of thing. I think there is always scope for stuff like that to pop up in future, and it means that they have you know, a, a wish list of quality of life updates that they can pull from players. And the, there isn't necessarily a reason for them to not implement that stuff later or, or, or sooner, but I think it it allows them to work from lists like that, give certain things priority if they come up a lot, and uh, maybe we end up getting stuff like that further down the line. Yeah, I mean, that's, so that's, that's my discussion this week it's all i wanted to put out there is just the the recent frustrations of you know the inconsistencies in player control for those kind of blocks has, has been a thorn in my side the last few weeks but uh, i'm fingers crossed you know like the game seems to be changing a lot uh and and especially in the last year or so and i'm just kind of wondering now that the big sweeping changes for for 118 are kind of done whether the intention can be then focused down on some of the smaller things that that um, could change in in the future yeah, definitely interesting to see as the landscape changes. Um, so I've been playing a bit of Minecraft Dungeons, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and so I thought for this week's roundtable I could bring a little bit of my experience of the latest update, Cloudy Climb, and I've tried my best not to call it a DLC because it's not. This is a completely free update as opposed to the previous ones which you had to either purchase individually or uh, buy in, in a, a kind of a set of the DLC, the kind of DLC pass previously. Um, there is some paid content in this, as I mentioned before. There is an adventure pass, which I, I bought. It's like five bucks, and it just gives you cosmetic stuff. So something you can completely ignore if you um, if you don't want to worry about that. And as far as I can tell, the free rewards that you get through the Adventure Hub, you'll get some emeralds, you'll get some you know gold that you can use to buy in-game items but that's not the kind of thing that they haven't turned that into a microtransaction where you can pay real money to get a bunch of emeralds to buy gear like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work that way and a lot of the stuff in the adventure pass track is just aesthetic stuff like skins and capes and pets and that kind of thing um some of the pets are naturally at this point going to be minecraft creatures that don't exist like the first one i think was a raven and i went ravens aren't a thing and it's you know effectively a retextured version of a parrot or something like that but it's it's kind of neat that they've got stuff like that in there um and so yeah i spent about two hours playing this uh over over the weekend and the tower is pretty fun it's a single player only experience and i've definitely seen some people disappointed about that because they play multiplayer minecraft with their kids or you know they they had a a really strong multiplayer experience with friends and wanted to keep that going which isn't possible and um yeah that i believe the developers uh and and uh mark watson have mentioned online why that wasn't a possibility they've said you know it just made the tower a much bigger workload than it was difficulty has to scale dynamically based on how many players are in one area and you know you have to think about ui and the ui for the tower is actually a little bit different which i'll get into in a moment but yeah there's just enough changes in this update that it meant it just wasn't possible to add multiplayer on top of all of the new stuff that they're putting in uh which i understand and i'm hoping that they can bring multiplayer to it in future for the people who are very keen on dungeons being that experience because i can definitely imagine if you've been playing it multiplayer this entire time them adding a free update seems like a really cool thing until you realize that most of the stuff isn't going to be accessible to you that way. I've not looked at it yet. I, I, um, 
I was a day ahead of time. I had some free time and I loaded up dungeons and I got the date wrong and it wasn't coming out until the day after yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I was in there. Um, but I went in and I kind of refreshed one of my characters and dumped a bunch of stuff and kind of like had, I have someone ready to go, go check it out when it's, when it's done. So, but that level, that character is like my second character. So they're like level 19 or something like that. So you're saying that the difficulty in the tower scales based on your, your character level? Well, the good news is the difficulty doesn't really matter in the tower because you start with a level zero character anyway. You Oh, okay. You regardless of what your character has done in the game up to this point, you start with a tower avatar who is, you know, a, a completely separate character basically. Oh. Um you you earn new gear in the tower from completing floors, um but you don't earn levels, you don't earn emeralds. Um, it, it's it's a bit of a different system. So, um, yeah, the, the first thing, my, my first thought naturally, if anyone's familiar with my history with Minecraft Dungeons, was can I complete this without weapons? Uh, the answer is no. Unequivocally, no. You can't even unequip or sell your basic gear because you don't really have an inventory in the tower. Instead, every time you complete a floor, you get thrown to a screen that shows you your current gear and gives you five options for new equipment, and a sixth option, which is you get a bonus enchantment points to enchant the stuff that you've already got. Um, so you earn new gear every time you complete a floor. Enemies don't drop um, equipment. They drop consumables like TNT or food or potions, but they won't drop like a new glaive for you to use, for example. And so your, your loadout only changes from floor to floor, and anything you swap out of your loadout, you lose the thing that you've just given away. You get your enchantment points back, but that's it. Uh, so, long story short, no barefist Steve for the tower. Um, and and I, I find it a little bit weird getting to grips with the UI because it's a little bit different from playing the regular game. Um, I also had a small moment of confusion because I play with an Xbox controller... And when you're choosing a reward, you can't check your current equipment. It doesn't let you scroll over to the sword or the armor and the bow that you've already got equipped. So I wasn't sure what the different power levels were going to be and, and what was going to look good. And so I started clicking around with the mouse where, you know, I can I can move over to my armor and take a look at it. And then I hit a button on my Xbox controller, which was probably the back button. And I just went straight into the next level of the tower without choosing a reward. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the dual wielding the mouse and controller was probably my mistake. But um, yeah, I ended up backing out the reward screen and refusing the reward entirely and continuing up the tower, which I think by default probably gave me the extra enchantment point option, but was still a little bit confusing for me. But I got the hang of it pretty quickly after that. Um, And it makes sense that you can't unequip or trash weapons or spend too much time messing with your inventory because the difficulty scales up every floor regardless of whether you have good gear or not. And this is part of the challenge, right? You end up with the same set of weapons and armor each time you attempt a run of the tower, like you you get offered the same five items on your first attempt as you do on subsequent attempts and your gear oh, really? completely resets in between. So basically it's almost like a puzzle kind of thing where if a weapon or armor worked out really well for you, you can make sure that you get that on the next time around and then you try different loadouts with that. So if an accessory was wor- working really well for you, like I, I had really good time with the scatter mines that just leave mines around for enemies to walk into. They dealt a ton of damage early on that meant, you know, I can just drop these by where the zombies are coming from and they don't follow me. And then 
once I had that locked in, I thought, okay, well, I'll go for that when I see them, and I'll also look for other weapons or armor that can help with abilities like that. Something that improves artifact damage is going to make them do a lot more damage when something runs into my mines. And so you develop a strategy that you can keep iterating on on subsequent run-throughs of the tower when you inevitably die, or even if you complete the tower, you can go back through and try something different, but with the same sets of items being offered to you every single time. Um, and the same is true for the different difficulties as well. Uh, you can play on Default, Adventure, or Apocalypse if you've unlocked them by playing through the base game, but there's no sliding scale levels of difficulty within each of those. It's just one, two, and three, and your power level of your character is going to level up based on the equipment you receive, and the challenge of the tower is going to increase on every level as you go. And it does that regardless of whether you have good gear or not. So if you keep the sword and armor and stuff that you started the tower with, and you just spend all of your in-between floor weapons on enchantment points instead, then you're going to get your butt handed to you by level 7 or 8 or whatever, because you don't have good equipment at that, at that point. Um, so it, it's an interesting format, and it breaks from the you know, the continuous upgrade that you do throughout playing the regular levels of the game. You're used to kind of keeping gear with you and then trashing it and you get like a slightly better sword or something like that. It's a little bit of a different system in the tower and you adapt to it pretty fast, but it can be a bit disorienting on the first time through is what I find. Does it get repetitive with being offered the same five pieces of gear or five options every time you play the tower? Because that, like that... One of the appeals to Minecraft Dungeons for me is the fact that I never know what I'm going to get. And depending on what the RNG gives me, like I might decide to have a glaive, you know, fight playthrough or this, maybe I'll have daggers and a fist weapon or something like that. Like, I, I feel like being offered the same narrow scope of, of gear would make it feel kind of repetitive. It's kind of swapping that for strategy a little bit. And it's also... The floors are short enough. It's not like a, 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 a massive area that you're going through. So you enter effectively one arena fight with a, a good handful of enemies, let's say like 20 enemies, and then you're immediately off to the next reward. And then it gives you another five things. And so I expect as you go up 30 levels, the possible permutations of that expand a whole bunch. Um, but it's going to give you... A few different weapon choices it's going to give you maybe like a heavy hitting weapon that's a little slower it's going to give you some daggers it's going to give you something standard like a sword or an axe and then it's going to give you a bow or you know an accessory or something like that and it's much more about can you find the right combinations of stuff with what you're given and how does that match your play style so i i find that it, it works pretty well as a system and and for me obviously because I'm used to just playing with one specific loadout that suited my playstyle, being the, the bare fist combat kind of thing. As soon as I got gauntlets, that was it. I didn't want to use anything else. And this is forcing me into looking into combinations of artifacts and stuff that I'd never really tried before and figuring out how to make the best of a bad situation in some cases. And I think right. it, it allows you to have a bit more time experimenting with different types of gear instead of getting stuck in the rut of what you're used to playing with uh, which i think works pretty well um there are a couple of curveballs in here as well because the um the ninth floor is always a merchant 
um, that upgrades a piece of your existing gear for free. Um, so you, you you see a merchant floor and you go, I haven't got any currency. What do I do with this? No, the 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 character, which is the the little kind of stacking stone blocks that seem to be this little kind of entity that guides you through the tower, appears in various guises throughout the tower. And um, the the ninth floor is. Um, like a, I think it's a power smith or something like that. It's 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 a a specific kind of character that it's taking on that upgrades one of your pieces of gear to the unique version of that item. So if you've got say a set of daggers, it upgrades them to like the frost knives that do you know extra damage and have different abilities and stuff. Um, it bumps up a normal piece of gear to the unique version. Once you get to the nineteenth floor. Um, there's one that boosts the power rating of your gear. So if you really like the sword that you've got, but it's getting under-leveled for the difficulty rating of the floor of the tower that you're on, it adds a bunch of power to that, so you don't you don't need to trash it. It can last for a few more floors that way. And then every tenth floor is a boss. Um, so I got the Corrupted Cauldron first, and then the second boss was Nameless One from the Desert Temple level. And there's different aspects to those fights when you you're fighting them in a different environment because the boss arenas in the main story have a different layout and have pillars that you can hide behind and catch your breath and stuff whereas these bosses are presented to you in a more flat environment um inside the tower so the, there's potentially different strategies that you can get thrown into there um and there are a couple of tough enemies it throws at you on the regular combat levels of the tower i think a lot of people found when they got to level 22 of the tower this time the royal guards from high block hall come out and they are absolutely lethal uh, they're relentless they follow you around they've got shields they've got maces they knock you back they're just tough to deal with and if you don't have the right loadout at that point you get flattened pretty quickly so then you build for them as you go back through the tower the second time and you're kind of thinking ahead to whatever the last thing was that beat you down and thinking okay do i have a counter strategy for that so there's there's some more dynamic ways of playing in here and yeah for me i think it was just fun being able to mess around with some of the weapons and armor that i'd completely disregarded before because they didn't suit the style of how i like to play how does the gameplay loop compare to something like hades it's relatively similar but i think the the change here is that the tower is always the same whereas with something like hades you're always getting something different on every run and so with hades you can't really develop a strategy for a specific thing until you know what the game throws at you and you know how to manipulate that and in hades obviously you're choosing from up to six different weapons by the time you've unlocked them all and then you start to figure out what the different boons are from the different olympian gods that you're looking for in order to really superpower that particular weapon whereas with dungeons and the tower you're kind of thinking ahead to i know these enemies are going to show up what can i pick from these available options which is going to be a good counter to those these things hit me really fast and hard how can i get a ranged weapon that's going to keep them at bay and what artifacts can i grab on the way that's going to do that so it's much more like you know, you're playing a game of chess, but you're starting with three pieces. So you know you're going to lose. But then the next time around, you know how to get more pieces. <laughs> and so it kind of, right. it, it becomes more of a strategic exercise. But then, of course, that's not the entire game. So if you tire of that, you can go back to some of the other aspects of 
of the game and play through all the levels and all of that is going to contribute to the rewards you get from the adventure pass so while completing the tower is the thing that gets you the most points towards earning those rewards for this seasonal adventure it's not the only way you can do it and uh, mark watson shared a really helpful list of stuff that progresses your adventure pass on twitter so completing the tower is the thing that gives you like a ton of points but then there are also weekly challenges that it throws at you from the adventure pass which are all fairly basic things that you just have to do a bunch of like for example drink 600 potions uh, so naturally if you're the kind of person who spams potions every 30 seconds once they refresh then you're going to get that one relatively quickly or if you're spending a lot of time grinding through levels where you need to heal quite often then that that can be useful to you but it can also shake up some people's gameplay if they're used to healing through artifacts or enchantments like radiance that means you always heal when you're attacking stuff um and th there are a few different weekly challenges that will give you pretty high adventure points once you complete them and it just requires you grinding the game a little bit uh completing missions does that uh c defeating bosses gets you more ap as well you can do ancient hunts to get more ap you can open chests or defeat raid captains as you find them through the levels you're replaying and those will all get you small amounts of ap as well so you don't have to do the tower if it's not your thing and the adventure pass is still something that you complete over time it's just that the tower is the new big thing that a lot of people are going to want to try so for me i think the, the confusion comes from the marketing i thought from what i saw that the the tower would be changing all the time so every time you played it the levels would be different it's it changes every couple of weeks and i think the the goal oh. so so it, it will tell you when you try and when you start a run of the tower like it has 14 days until the next reset um, oh, okay cool and so it kind of becomes like the the raids progress thing in an mmo for example like you know once uh -huh, you've got to a certain uh -huh, point uh -huh. you can you could checkpoint in, a, in an mmo it's not quite right. that system um but it it basically says you've got two or three weeks to try this out i don't know what the actual uh limit is going to be whether it's a monthly thing or what um but i think the next one is going to be basically right at the start of january and then the tower levels are going to reset the challenges are going to be on different floors you'll get different items and in the meantime mm. the challenge is more like you either figure this out on your own or you look up advice from other people with the community you talk to your friends who are playing minecraft dungeons you say how do i get past this one enemy he stomps me every time and they say okay once you get to floor three and you've completed that take the daggers because they're faster and they'll help you get through this this and this and then mm -hmm. like you, you start to discuss strategy with people and the minecraft dungeons subreddit has been pretty active with people saying what is going on with floor 22 with all the royal guards how can i get past that and people sharing rewards that they got from completing the tower and encouraging each other to kind of share strategies and stuff so i think it's it's really fun um it's a very different approach to what we've seen from minecraft dungeons so far but that's another way they keep the game fun and interesting for repeat players um yeah the cosmetic stuff in the battle pass the adventure pass thing doesn't appeal to me that much i don't know if i play the game enough lately to complete the whole thing but it's certainly an incentive to jump in and play around and i might just chuck dungeons on a couple of times over the holidays because it's a it's a bit of fun i expect people who are playing on other platforms like console platforms and stuff are going to have an easier time just you know throwing that on the tv when they're kind of hanging around after christmas dinner or something like that um if i had one constructive feedback about rewards though 
um, I think it's kind of a shame that the pride skin and cape aren't in the free track. Uh, keeping them in the paywalled section is not my favorite move, given the context of those things. Like, you know, people wanting to feel represented and have access to, like, the rainbow thing uh, that helps them celebrate. And that there's nothing to stop them bringing those items to the free track in future uh, adventure passes if they end up doing... They're, they're doing a season two uh, seasonal adventure or something like that. But I just thought it was kind of weird that they were in the in the paywalled section. But that's that's my only real problem with the the cosmetic stuff like for the most part people are going to be able to freely ignore that they've probably got a character skin that they're already attached to and you know in my case it's just steve from minecraft um and then yeah there's there's a bunch of stuff in there that'll keep people happy i think regardless of whether they're paying for the adventure pass or not um overall i'm 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 intrigued by the tower i don't know if it feels as big as the dlcs did but of course it's not necessarily a paid update it's it feels a little bit more experimental but it's a fun way of keeping things alive for minecraft dungeons without trying to go into a kind of pvp thing where it just becomes about an arena fight where players attack each other or turning it into a moba or something like that i think i think there is potential for this kind of wave survival uh approach in the tower to be what carries minecraft dungeons forward a little further so yeah if you're playing minecraft dungeons over the holidays if you picked up minecraft dungeons for christmas or something like that let us know right into the show and we'd love to hear about that alongside the chat about regular vanilla minecraft uh that's gonna be it for this episode of the spawn chunks though you can find more information about the show and links to all of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. It'd be a lovely Christmas present to us, and pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, where you can talk with like-minded Minecrafters and listen to the show live when it is recorded every week. It also gets us closer to our Patreon milestone goals, and we might have an update for those in the new year as well. We're currently at 311. 11 patrons which is up five from last week and you might hear a slightly different number next week because of the pre-recording but special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale paulbo baggins and yitz thank you for your support on this episode and this year sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast though just tell a friend about the spawn chunks and where they can go to listen to it you can find us on itunes spotify google podcasts even youtube honestly wherever you can find a podcast while you're out there leave us a review in the itunes store it's one of the best ways for new listeners to find the show when they're just searching for a podcast on their podcast app about minecraft it's the easiest way to kind of boost our uh, searchability i guess you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com the rss feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the patreon page that's where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where in the new year I'll be doing behind-the-scenes work on Survival Guide on streams, so make sure to check those out. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and aside from that I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. That includes links to my other podcasts, like the Citadel Cafe, about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I have a huge holiday roundtable coming up this Wednesday with almost everybody that's been on the show this year, so it's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media, and of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I play Minecraft, Satisfactory, and over the holidays, I'm looking forward to adding a few more games to that roster. And the YouTube VODs page is where the uh, latest Lego Let's Chat is going to be going up. And that's going to be going up this week. So check that out at Joel Duggan VODs on YouTube. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Take leather boots. The powdered snow is falling. (laughs) 